Christian leaders of all stripes and denominations have sought deeper insight into the holy grail of all practical Christianity, namely discipleship. What is this mysterious word, they ask? What does it mean? How do you know if you are one? How do you know if you've made one? These and many other questions have stumped and confused many a Christian and have led to infighting, doctrinal quarrels, and mean letters full of rude expressions. And today, we will single-handedly clear up all of the confusion in less time than it takes to brew a cup of coffee and then accidentally spill it on yourself. Do we know something that the masses don't, you might ask? Of course, and that's why you're here. <clears throat> no, just kidding. But today we will start with the basics, look at the ultimate case study for clues, and share some simple ideas of how it applies to you right now. I'm Sam. I'm Vic. And this is the Shoe Leather Podcast. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, so we're, today we're going to be talking about discipleship. Obviously, there's no way to tackle such a deep topic in one episode, but we're going to at least cover the basics, and hopefully it will be encouraging to you. So uh, we're going to be hitting some kind of couple main points of what discipleship is, and then a couple things that Jesus has taught us about discipleship, and hopefully that will be helpful. So first off, what is discipleship? How do you make a disciple? All right, so first off, discipleship. This is a really good, uh, I think it's a really good definition of discipleship. This is by Brandon Cox. And he says, discipleship is the art and science of helping people find, follow, and fully become like Jesus. Discipleship happens as God's people show love, share truth, and live life with one another, making new disciples along the way. So I think that's kind of, there's a lot in there we could unpack, but just the idea of, you know, it's an art and a science, so there are things that you can do, but then there are things that only God can do. Uh, just helping people to find, follow, and fully become more like Jesus. Just some really good stuff in there. Uh, something that Dallas Willard said, <clears throat> it's a little bit more lighthearted, and he says, discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. Okay? Think <laughs> about a, that for a minute. Think about that for a second. Uh, discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. So if Jesus was walking around 21st century, he was your age, he was your personality, he, was, he had your interests and your abilities, what would he do with all that stuff? That you becoming like that person, that is discipleship. That's and discipleship cool. is a process, which you already mm -hmm. said once. It's like spiritual mentoring. Mm -hmm. Correct. So discipleship is a process. Uh, it is. It's like spiritual, like we talked about leadership last time. Uh, discipleship is very similar to spiritual leadership. It's the idea of, of being a guide for somebody else and hopefully having a guide for you as you are following. Uh, ultimately, we're all following Christ, but we have different people in life that can help us in that journey. It's like it, it's it's showing care for someone's spirituality. It's it's helping them become uh, more like Christ. So a disciple. What is a, a disciple necessarily? Right, again, Dallas Willard gives us an, an example. He says a disciple is a person who's decided that the most important thing in their life is to learn how to do what Jesus said to do. That is a disciple. And if you look in the in the Bible, the word disciple just means pupil or learner. And, and so if you think about that, we want to be a learner of Christ. Now, it's not necessarily a student in the way that we understand students today because students today sit in a classroom for however many hours and then whether they learn something or not is optional, like hopefully they do, but it's very passive. And the idea here is to be a learner. So you have to be learning. You can't just sit and be passive. You are actively learning. And because of that learning, you are changing because of what you're learning. That is the idea of, of a true disciple, is a true learner. It isn't just a student. There's someone who's actually learning, 
becoming more. So we could say, you know, we don't talk about this word much in this day and age, but we could say the idea of an apprentice. Uh, uh, one author mentions the idea of sort of like uh, being God's, Jesus' apprentice, and that is much more uh, potent. It's mm -hmm. much more applicable, the idea of an apprentice followed the master and did what the master did and learned what the master taught and became like the master. And that's that's that idea of It's that a lot of like learning. applying it mm. right away versus like sitting and absorbing things and then trying to remember them later for a test. Correct. So discipleship is a process. Uh, a disciple is an active learner. That's kind of the second thing you can come away with. Um, this is kind of an interesting thought. You know, when we d define like what is a disciple? How do you know you've made one? How do you know you are one? Uh, many people have different different ideas of that, but if we just look at Scripture, we get some clues into sort of the finesse and the idea behind what a, a disciple is. Kind of the, a clear one is in John 8, 31 and 32, very very common passage. It says, um, Then said Jesus to those disciples, which, or to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So, this is a good question. You know, how do you know you are one? Based on this, if you are actively learning from Jesus and working through his word, then you are his disciple. Okay? You are his learner. And this is something that's interesting that be, kind of be foreign, the idea that's kind of foreign to us. But even if you're not a Christian, you can still be his disciple in that sense. All right? That doesn't mean you're an apostle. It doesn't mean you know God. But it means you are. If we took the, the definition of disciple as a learner of Jesus, then an unsaved person can be a learner of Jesus. If, if their heart is to seek God's truth and they continue in Jesus' words, like Jesus said to do, then they become his disciple. But what is the result? He doesn't leave them there. The rest of the verse tells us, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. So once they truly, they truly latch onto God's word and become Jesus' apprentice, Jesus' disciple, Jesus' learner, then his truth will make them free and his truth will transform them into a learner from a learner to to become a child, right? And then they become in God's family and that truth sets them free. And then that verse actually applies again to us as believers when we continue in God's word, when we, when we meditate on his word and renew our minds with his word, then that word sets us free from all the lies and all the junk that we used to live with. And, and then we become free from what? From the lies. So in both ways, whether you are unbeliever or, or a believer, God's word will set you free. And it just depends on from what, you know, from your sin or from the lies that you are still believing that lead you to sin. So I think that that's a really powerful verse on, you know, what, what does that look like? If you are truly a, an active learner of Jesus, he says, then you are my disciple. So a couple other passages that he mentions uh, being his disciple is 1 John 13, 34 and 35. says, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, a new commandment I give unto you, <clears throat> that you love one another as I have loved you that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. All right, and then again, he mentions in John 15, 8, herein, in this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. So in both instances, it seems like you know loving each other and bearing fruit, they appear to be proof of discipleship. Okay, I'm not sure if, he doesn't really make it clear if it is a condition of discipleship. Like if you're not doing things, then you can't be a disciple. I don't know, but it's clear that he's saying loving others and bearing fruit, bearing spiritual fruit for God's glory, those are both, uh, they're both proof, of, proof of being Jesus' disciple. So my thought is, let's start doing those things. Let's be his disciple, uh, be active in his word, knowing his word, following him, obeying him, hearing him, 
learning of him, then those things are going to start happening, I mm -hmm. believe, in our lives, and we're going to become better and better disciples. I think there's a gradient where we can become closer and a better disciple than we are today. All right, so <clears throat> uh, why is it important? Obviously, why is it important to be a disciple? I think we know the answer, but one of the main things is because it was the, the main thrust of Jesus's Great Commission, right? When he left earth, the last things he told us were, were what we would consider the Great Commission, and we've talked about that a while ago. All right, the, the most common passage that we look to is Matthew 28, where it says, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. So the idea of you know baptizing them, which you know we understand as water baptism, but also he mentions baptism with the idea of the Holy Spirit. So baptizing them, helping to lead them to repentance and salvation, and then teaching them to observe what God has commanded, what Christ has commanded. And this actually lends itself to the idea when he told us in uh, John, John 8, you know, if you continue in my word, if you continue in what I tell you, if you continue in my commands, then you are my disciples. So teaching them to observe Christ's commands, that is helping them become disciples. And it's interesting, you know, uh, the King James says, <clears throat> Go therefore and teach all nations. But the word there, teach all nations, means to make learners of all nations. So other other uh, translations, they mention, you know, go and make disciples of all nations. And I think both, you know, it's just two, two different ways to say the same thing. He's saying, make them be learners of me. Mm. Make them be active students of me, active pupils of mine. And that's what we want to do. We want, and, and kind of the main thing he says, teaching them to do what? Observe all that I've commanded you. Stay in his word. Once we get grounded in his word, the Holy Spirit's going to fill in those blanks. He's going to teach us with his word. All right, Jesus, obviously, is our example. He modeled this for us. He spent time and effort not to tell us how to do it, but to show us how to do it. He came from heaven to save us from our sins, yes, but also to show us how to live here on earth. And discipling others is part of that. Being discipled, discipling others. That's just the way that he made it work with us as humans. All right, so there's some context. Now, how do we do it? What are some action steps that we can go make disciples, just like Jesus said, right? Well, you guys know, you know, WWJD, what, what would Jesus do? Let's ask, what did Jesus do? So we can, we can ask the hypothetical of what would he do if he were here, and I don't think that's bad. I think that's smart. But let's ask first, what did he do? Mm -hmm. what, what has he already shown us in history we can look back on and say, okay, what are some clues that we can pick up? So obviously Jesus is the ultimate the ultimate case study. His story is the ultimate case study for how we want to, to disciple other people. All right, so what did they learn from him? A couple of things that he did. Obviously, he taught them. Mm -hmm. He lived with them, okay? Maybe not necessarily always in, under the same roof, but he did life with them, okay? They, they saw each other often, and I'm sure they did live together under the same roof many times, okay? He prayed for them. This is huge. He, he prayed for them. There's times in the Bible he says, you know, that he... He prayed for his disciples. Mm -hmm. He took trips with them. They went to events together. Mm -hmm. Did all kinds of things together. Yep. Ate together, had fellowship together. Okay, so we, we got the impression that they're doing life together. There's these different things that they would all do as a group together. I think that's significant. That's important. Uh, it's this idea of, of they had a melding of their experiences, a melding of their lives. They, their lives became intertwined. And uh, it just wasn't, wasn't one-sided. You know, I think we, we believe... Obviously, Jesus 
did most of the work and he, you know, he led them and he spoke with them and all these different things. But it wasn't just a one-sided relationship. It was a two-sided thing. Their lives were influenced by each other, which is kind of an odd idea. Like, I don't really think of that. But if you stop and think about it, chances are good that his disciples, the, you know, we understand the 12 main disciples, many of them were fishermen. You know, we know at least the four of them were. And, uh, and chances are good those fishermen spent a lot more time traveling other places than they would have if they were just ordinary fishermen. The fact that they were his disciples, they, I believe they saw more sights, they met more people than they would have if they had just stayed in their little town as fishermen. Mm -hmm. But conversely, on the, other, on the other side, Jesus spent way more time with fish and boats and near the Sea of Galilee than he would have if he had not discipled fishermen. So in other words, just a quick uh, thought experiment. If Jesus, most of his disciples were shepherds instead, it would stand to reason, chances are good he would have probably been spending more time on the, the pastures and, and near sheep and near sheepfolds and stuff like that. So just realizing this, was a, this wasn't a one-way street. Hmm. Jesus influenced them, but their lives influenced him as well in the sense that he did not pull them out of their existence. He did not just pull them out of their life. Now, he certainly added to it. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I'm sure they traveled more and they went to, uh, you know, uh, Jerusalem for Passover, all these different things, than, much more than they would have if he wasn't with them. But he chose to do life with them. Mm -hmm. He chose to do life with them. Okay? He, he went to them. He was proactive. And he incorporated their daily life experiences into the mentoring process and into the mentoring relationship. He didn't uproot them completely from what they knew. He added to it, but he worked within the confines of their lives. And I think that's really significant because he didn't tell them, hey, come across here, you know, stop doing all these things. We're going to do a completely different life. Now, again, there's lots of things that they did different, but, but he actually used their boats and they sailed on that sea many times. And it's just interesting that he did, he, he added into mm -hmm. that life. All right. So in the same way, you know, we know that he, as he's walking by, especially with the fishermen, many other times he said, follow me. You know, he said to, to Matthew, the tax collector, follow me. He said to the other guys, follow me. And I think we can learn from that. Like we are supposed to go out. We are supposed to invite uh, just like he did, follow me, like, like, like he said, um, you know, going to the highways and byways, compelling them to come in. It's that idea of we have to be proactive because he was proactive. He came down from heaven to earth to live here on this planet with us. He was very proactive. So I think that's one thing that we can learn from his example is just being proactive and reaching out. If we need, you know, if we want to be in a, a mentoring relationship, a discipling relationship with others, to reach out to them, to include them. And actually to include ourselves in their lives as well. And so not to just have this divide, but actually share our lives with each other. Not expecting disciples to just show up on your doorstep and mm -hmm. then, yeah. Right, not just waiting for them, but yeah. actually going out and finding them. Mm -hmm. Right? And uh, so we could say, you know, he went to them. He was proactive in, in discipleship. Okay, what's something else we can learn from him? Something uh, that's important, I think is main, is he spoke to different, different groups, right? So what do we know about Scripture? In scripture, Jesus taught large crowds many times, talked about the multitudes and feeding the multitudes, speaking to the multitudes. All right, but then he had like a, a large group that I believe he discipled because Luke 10 
says that he sent out 70 disciples, which means they were close enough with him that they must have had some kind of relationship with him. All right, so 70, that's a pretty big group. But then also, obviously, we know of the 12, right? The 12 apostles, the 12 disciples. Uh, he sent out those 12 as well, and they were very close with him. And then ultimately, he had those three close disciples. We had Peter, James, and John. And those are the ones we hear about most in as individuals and as that group that he really invested in. So what can we learn from that? And the bottom line is that he invested on different levels with different people. And I think that is really important because it's it's encouraging, It's but it's also freeing mm-hmm. because what he's not saying is you have to throw your life into everyone you meet. You know, you have to give of yourself like hours and hours to everyone. Mm-hmm. But also he's not saying just to have a best friend and forget everyone else. Jesus showed this perfect, beautiful balance of speaking and teaching, instructing and helping thousands. You know, we know it was thousands of people that would come to hear him. But then ultimately, he would disciple a smaller group and kind of a more disciple, even a smaller group. And then he was really almost befriended just these certain few. And there's a, I think there's a really important principle in there for us to take away that he invested different levels with different people. And that's okay because that's the way he did it. That's Mm -hmm. the way we can do it too. So here's some just kind of simple ideas. Most of these you probably are very familiar with, but I would just encourage you to be on the lookout for some of these things. You know, we live in a different culture, but there's still some things that we can do in this culture that would sort of relate to what he might've done in, in that culture. So some ideas, take someone out to coffee. Or if you don't like coffee, take them out to ice cream. And then just ask them, how is it going? And then actually dig in to that idea. Okay, so don't just be flippant. How's it going? Good, okay. But but actually asking them some deeper questions. And we'll have a few just just to get your mind thinking. All right, something else. Invite them to do something with you. I think this is really important. You know, if if I'm going to go on a trip or, or a conference or even something simple like going to the store or taking, you know, whatever whatever it may be, just inviting a friend to come with you inviting, if you're trying to disciple someone, invite them to come with you. Say, hey, I'm going to do this. Uh, you want to come? And it's amazing how many people will, will do that if they are drawn out and if they are asked. And so many times, again, I might think, well, if you know they know I'm going, if they wanted to come, they would ask me to come. But again, that's not proactive, not like Jesus would. Jesus went to them and said, follow me. So why not we go to them and say, hey, why don't you come with me? And if they say no, that's fine. But at least being that proactive mm-hmm. person, who knows what good things could happen because you chose to take that step. All right, having them over, you know, maybe uh, having them over to the house, again, taking them out to dinner, something where you're just having that time with them. Doing some sort of challenge together. And you might think, what kind of challenge? I don't think it matters. It can be a, a health challenge. It can be a Bible challenge. It can be uh, some sort of fast, any kind of challenge. Anything that will bind you together and give you opportunity to communicate about important things, I think it counts. So just being creative, you know, maybe you have an interest in something, you guys can learn more about it together. Whatever is gonna help you stay in contact and stay in life relationship with that person and with that group, that's what you wanna try and do. All right, just texting people randomly to see how they are. Just, hey, I was thinking about you, praying about you, how's it going, whatever. Um, Studying a book or reading a book together, that could be something, just sharing insights with each other. Here's something that might be a little uncomfortable, but I think it's something that's really handy, is providing observations, like something, providing observations of what you see in their life, either good or bad. And I'm reminded of the the verses in Proverbs 27, 
where it says open rebuke is better than secret love. What that means is, you know, it's better to rebuke someone and say, hey man, what you're doing is wrong and I love you and I'm, I'm trying to help you and that's wrong. It's better than loving them secretly but saying nothing. You know, secret love. Like, oh man, I love you and I care about you. You're making some bad decisions but I'm not going to say anything. All right? That's less loving than just saying, hey man, you're, you're acting like a jerk. Like, fix yourself. Okay? That, that sounds counterintuitive but, but, but approaching it is actually better. That open rebuke is actually better than that secret mm-hmm. love. And then the very next part says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. So if you truly are friends, someone's going to say, man, that hurt, but I appreciate that. You know, it's like a, a doctor, uh, you know, performing surgery on you. It hurts, but it's so much better than leaving the cancer to, to kill me. Mm-hmm. Well, it's in the, even it's that idea of a good friend tells you when you have stuff in your teeth. Yeah, that's exactly. What a, that's what a good friend does. And so that's how you know they're a good friend is they're willing to say something that's really uncomfortable right. in order to make it better for you instead of letting you walk around like that all day. Mm-hmm. So, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And you know, just as a quick side note here, uh, we were talking about it recently about what are some things that have helped us in our discipleship journey. And it really comes down to the main things are those one-on-one conversations. Mm-hmm. You know, conferences have their place. Books definitely have their place. Very important. Uh, you know, events, retreats, programs, they all have their place. You know, sermons and church. But really, when it comes down to it, most of the time, it's that one-on-one conversation that sticks with you or that's that, that one-on-one relationship, that friendship you have with that person that you feel safe with and you've told them things you've not told anyone else and they've given you grace and they've you know shared God's love and God's truth with you. It's those types of relationships and those types of instances that really help us grow in our discipleship journey. So keeping those open. Mm-hmm. So quick, just some of the few questions you can ask at any time that's just going to help you get to the good stuff faster. So here's some questions. You know, what good books have you read lately? So they might say, none. Like, okay, do you like to read? No. Okay, what do you like to do? And that gets, gets you off talking about something else. All right, what's been on your mind lately? That's a good one because whatever it is, that's something that they've been thinking about. So they might say, man, I was just wondering what to do after college. Or, man, there's someone I like. Or, man, I just don't know something's going on in my house. Or, I was just thinking about video games or something, whatever. Okay, but you can get right to the heart of what they're about quickly and then begin talking about that and just asking good questions and just loving them and listening. Again, you know, what are you, or how are you developing your key relationships? And maybe they aren't. And maybe you can say, are they important to you? Oh, well, yeah, okay, well, if they are, then maybe that's something that can be done. And how can, how can I help facilitating that, whatever. What has God been teaching you lately? Okay, that's a great one, just to get down, man, I'm just learning to trust him more. Or, you know, I haven't, he isn't really speaking to me. Like, okay, well, we can talk about that. And what have you been learning about? That's a really good one. Just something that's, you know, it's always fun to learn. It's always fun to share what you're learning. So that's just an open door for them to say, well, here's what I'm learning. And then you can say, you know, share back. Well, this is what I'm learning. And you can encourage each other that way too. And here's something real quick is, is to have, you know, the Bible talks about Paul and Timothy and Barnabas. And people have used this almost as a model. You want all three of these people in your life. You want a Paul, someone who's older and wiser, who can speak into your life. You want a Timothy, someone who's younger than you or, or less mature spiritually than you that you can speak into. And it's good to have a Barnabas, someone that is coming alongside you that you can maybe even learn together. So question, you know, who, do you have those people in your life? Are you those people to someone else? And if not, how can you get them? You might, um, Dallas Willard says, if you don't have a teacher, you can't have a disciple. And at first I think, is that true? But I think it is because if you don't have someone or something actively coming into your life and encouraging your life, you really don't have anything to give to the next generation. So how to get uh, a disciple? how to get someone who will disciple you. A couple things, pray for one. 
Okay, I know that sounds like a cop-out, but it's not. You are coming to the God of everything and requesting help in your spiritual journey. Is he going to say no? No. Okay, he's going to help you. It might not look the way you think it will, but he will help you in that because he wants to see you grow. All right, again, another simple one. Sounds like a cop-out. Start at home. I think, home? I got nobody at home. Yeah, you do. Okay, even if you're only a child, you still have your parents at home. So just starting where you're at, starting small, being faithful in the little. Now, you might say, I don't want to be like my parents. Like, I don't want them discipling me because, uh, you know, maybe they're not spiritual. Maybe they have huge issues or maybe they don't know God. But there's chances are that there's something that they did right. Even to get you where you are at this point to realize that what they're doing is not great. There's something that happened in your life that they, they got right. Find that something mm-hmm. and then ask them for help in that area. Okay, you don't have to emulate them perfectly, but, but maybe they did something right that you can emulate and you can ask for insight or advice. Okay. So quick, discipleship, it's a process, right? It's a process of becoming more like Jesus. Discipleship is, uh, a disciple is an active learner. It's not passive. It's something that we are active about. We become Jesus apprentices. Things we learned about Jesus, he was proactive in his discipleship, okay? Uh, and we can, we can be proactive by praying and starting at home in our discipleship journey. And Jesus invested on different levels with different people. So we can find out, you know, who are those people that I want to give life to? You know, maybe the, the masses would be uh, an Instagram post. That would be someone like kind of blasting out to the masses. Whereas a smaller group, sort of a discipleship group, is going to be your friends, maybe friends at church or maybe siblings. And so even just deciding like, where are those boundaries? Mm-hmm. And am I over committing in some areas that I don't have to? And am I neglecting people at home that I should be investing in more? So just being aware of that. So that's kind of the recap. That's the idea. So we encourage you guys to, to, to get after it and just ask God for wisdom. Ask him for direction and guidance, and he's going to help you out with that. So remember, whether you eat or drink or develop a relationship, a discipleship relationship with, with others, whatever it is that you do, do it for the glory of God. Until next time. Mm-hmm.